and welcome to our podcast series, Struggling with Judgment. My name is David Ingle, and I'm a preacher, pastor, and filmmaker. And this is our final episode, simply called The End. When we were filming the final episode in the Struggling with Judgment film series, we travelled up to Coventry to visit one of the most spectacular paintings in all of medieval England. It's in Holy Trinity Church, and it doesn't disappoint. It's vivid, colourful and dramatic. It's a style of painting known as a doom, and they were all the rage in medieval times. And the scene was always the last judgment, with Jesus enthroned in glory judging the world, and all of humanity passing before him either to heaven or to hell. And the idea of dooms was that they reminded the congregation that one day judgment would come that there's a heaven and a hell, which frankly seems all rather strange to us today. Because for most of us, final judgment is the last thing we want to be reminded of on a Sunday morning. And yet judgment, and yes, final judgment, is an important theme throughout the Bible. I mean, the loose inspiration for many of these dooms is a parable that Jesus himself told in Matthew 25, where he describes how one day he will judge the world. And he compares that final judgment to a shepherd separating out the sheep in his flock from goats. And he finishes, then they, the goats, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I think that's an image that most of us find amazingly difficult to get our heads round. How can that be? How can it be that Jesus, who's the very definition of love, who died so that I might be forgiven, how can it be that that he would send people to eternal punishment? And this podcast is the final part of a series on struggling with judgment, trying to work through together how God can be both love and judge. And in the previous episodes, we've begun to unpack just how serious the things that we do wrong are. And so therefore why some form of judgment might be necessary. But still I think that many of us, even if we accept the idea of some judgment, struggle with the idea of a final or eternal judgment. Now, some of that can stem from unhelpful stereotypes and caricatures, Some of the sorts of things that we did actually see when we went up to visit Coventry and look at that doom I mentioned earlier. There are little details with horned devils with pitchforks, tending blazing furnaces with a sort of sadistic glee. While the picture as a whole may be loosely based on that parable in Matthew 25, images like those actually have more to do with pagan mythology blended with a sort of medieval scaremongering than anything you'd find in the Bible. The Bible is actually fairly vague about what that eternal punishment looks like. Sometimes it speaks of darkness, sometimes it speaks of fire, and at other times of a second death. And yet, however we understand God's judgment, whether that second death means ceasing to exist, or whether the darkness and fire points to a place, hell, if you will, One thing that is clear is that this final judgment is a terrible thing. 
And so even without the unhelpful images, I think that most of us probably will still struggle. And we ask, why can't God just forgive everyone? And I want to suggest two answers to that question. And both may surprise you. The first is because God loves you. God doesn't just forgive everyone because he loves you. He loves me because people and individuals matter. Let me explain that a bit more. Thus far in the series, we've mainly looked at things from the perspective of the sinner. I'm broken. I'm not what I should be. But what about the impact that that has on you? Think of how my sin breaks and destroys you, how it causes you pain and heartache and suffering. Because if you matter, then that matters. And if that matters to God, then he can't just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. Because actually to do that would be to diminish you, to sacrifice his love for you on the altar of my happiness and salvation, to say that actually I matter more than you, to say that You have to pay the price. You have to bear the burden of the sins I've done against you. And that's not fair. That's not just. That's not right. And God will not do it. Again and again in scripture, the cry for justice comes not actually from God, but from us. It comes from the victims. How long must your servant wait, cries out the psalmist in Psalm 119.84. When will you punish my persecutors? I remember a friend who'd been a missionary in the Central African Republic talking about this. And he told us how amongst the people of that nation who have suffered so much in violent conflicts in recent years, judgment was seen as good news. Because it told them that all the injustices and the pain and the brutality that they have suffered, and which no one else seems to care about, that those things matter to God. That they as people matter to God. And that he will one day put their injustices right. My friend gently asked us whether one reason why we in the West struggle with judgment might not be that we no longer remember why we need it. And yet, actually, even where I live in the UK, in the midst of one of the safest, fairest, most settled places in the world, evil and injustice still break through and ruin and warp our lives. Have you never watched the news and cried out in anger at some terrorist attack or atrocity? Have you never railed against... Uh, racial injustice or the destruction of the climate? Have you never shouted at the injustices of modern slavery or people trafficking? Have you never seen something that made you cry out for justice? Because if you have, then you've caught a glimpse of why there must be judgment. Can you imagine a moment in eternity When the victim of people trafficking and rape discovers that her tormentor walks the streets of paradise with her. That he was unrepentant. That he didn't care. That he was unmoved by her suffering. But that God didn't mind. That God led him into heaven anyway. Can you imagine how she would feel 
how cruel and inhumane and degrading that would be for her, how it would seem to make a mockery of all that she had suffered. Can you imagine how that place would become for her, not heaven, but hell? Because if you can, then you know why there must be judgment. And for you and I, and for most of us, our pain and suffering and need for justice, well, it's not as great as that. And yet still our lives are blighted by stress and pain and heartache and suffering. And still that all matters. And so still, because God loves me, he judges. And actually, when we see things like that, we realise that the problem, the scandal, is no longer why does God judge, but why does God forgive? I mean, I spoke a moment ago of the victim of rape and slavery, discovering her tormentor walking the streets of paradise alongside her, and the injustice and horror of that. And yet the gospel tells us that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life, no matter who they are or what they've done. Stephen, the first martyr, will discover Saul, his tormentor, at his side. Victims will be alongside those who did it to them. And we ask, how can that be? And I imagine the victims turning to Jesus and asking, why? Why is he here? Did you not see what he did to me? Does that not matter? Do I not matter? And I imagine Jesus turning to them with tears in his eyes and pointing them to the cross and saying, yes, it does matter. It matters so much that I had to die. Something had to be done because you are that important to me. Because I love you so much, the only thing that could ever be enough was me, myself. I die to pay that cost. But that price can only be paid if we will accept it. We cannot be allowed into heaven without repentance in our hearts. Why? Well, because otherwise the cost has been rejected. There has been no justice, no price. And that cannot be allowed for the sake of the victims. And so for those who reject God's forgiveness at the cross, there must still be a final judgment. So why does God judge? Well, one answer is that he loves you. And the second answer I want to give to that question may at first seem equally surprising. Why does God judge? Well, because of heaven. Because without judgment, there can be no paradise. One of the most famous and popular passages in the Bible comes in Revelation 21. It's a glorious vision of a new heaven and a new earth. A paradise in which God will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And yet what most people miss is that the bit immediately before that passage in Revelation chapter 20 is all about final judgment. And the final verses of Revelation 20 are this. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the difficult truth 
is that actually these passages go together for a reason. Because you cannot have one without the other. You cannot have paradise without judgment, heaven without its opposite. Why? Because if I was to enter heaven now, I would destroy it. And so would you. As we've looked at over the previous sessions, our sin leaves us broken and poisoned. And that means that if we were just allowed into heaven as we are, we would bring the brokenness and the poison in with us and we would ruin paradise. It's a sobering thought that as I am at the moment, I would turn heaven into hell or at least back into earth with all its problems and pain and suffering. And so before I can be let into heaven, I need to be fixed. And so once again, the problem is not what we thought it was. It's not why doesn't God let everyone into heaven. It's how can God let anyone into heaven? And again, the answer is found at the cross. We touched on this earlier in the series because there's a future element to our salvation. We have been saved, past tense, forgiven, set free, brought back into relationship with God. But we've not yet experienced everything that goes with that. There's a, a future element to our salvation. And Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When Jesus returns and the dead are raised, in that moment we will all experience the fullness of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We will rise again with him or change in that moment. And when we do, the brokenness and the poison is gone. And we will be changed and made perfect at last. And that means that we will be ready for heaven. Perfect and able to enter paradise without destroying it. But again, that can only happen if we will accept it. If we repent and believe and allow God to save us. Why? Well, because otherwise the root of our sin, the rejection of God, the determination to go our own way, the brokenness is still there. And so, again, for those who reject God's salvation at the cross, there must still be final judgment. Because otherwise they will destroy heaven for us all. One of my favourite authors is C.S. Lewis, and somehow he had a gift for explaining things that the rest of us struggled to get our heads around. And in his book, The Great Divorce, he explains this beautifully. It's a long passage, but here are some of the key moments. Some people say that the final loss of one soul gives the lie to all the joy of those who are saved. But it does not. That sounds very merciful, but see what lurks behind it. The demand of the loveless and the self-imprisoned that they should be allowed to blackmail the universe. That until they consent to be happy on their own terms, no one else shall taste joy. That theirs should be the final power, that hell should be able to veto heaven. It must be one way or the other. Either the day must come when joy prevails and all the makers of misery are no longer able to infect it, or else forever and ever the makers of misery can destroy in others the happiness they reject for themselves. So why does God judge? Well, two answers. Because God loves you 
and because of heaven. But both those answers also point us to another truth. God doesn't judge us because he wants to, or because he takes pleasure in it, or because he wants us to suffer. In fact, quite the opposite. Paul wrote to Timothy, God our Saviour wants all people to be saved. God wants you to know eternal life. God wants you to experience the joys of heaven. God wants you to be with him forever. And that is why Jesus came to earth as a man. That is why Jesus lived, died and rose again for us. So that we, so that you, could be saved. Amen. Thank <phone> you. <rings>